Hey, this is Jennifer Helms, and you're listening to Minutes No Limits. Hello, and welcome to my second audiobook series. My first audiobook was How to Be Anti-Racist. That one... Well, okay, so a fact about me is that I actually am not a big reader. I pretty much only read required reading, um, which this is kind of making it required for me in a way. But so I prefer, I actually, when I do read, I like reading nonfiction more than I like reading fiction. But um, definitely because my last audiobook was, it was educational and it was also a requirement for school for me and um, clearly just something that I wanted to share at the time. But now I wanted to shift gears and read a fiction book. Um, and I want to read my favorite book, The Alchemist by, I don't even know, how, I never know how to say these names, Paolo Coelho? Coelho? I don't know. I'm sorry. But it's a pretty fan. I think it's a pretty well-known book. But funny story, the reason why it's my favorite book <laughs> is because the first time I experienced it was actually someone read it to me. It was actually in my high school sophomore year English class. The teacher read the book aloud. <laughs> and I just liked it for that reason. But, um... Yeah, so I think for this audiobook, like, I don't want to read, I just kind of want to read excerpts. I want the episodes to be a little bit shorter because in the last audiobook series, they were running at about, like, 15 to 20 minutes long, and I don't know. I just want this one, this series, to be kind of um, more relaxed in a way. So, okay, here we go. So now I'm going to read the foreword from the author and the prologue from, or just the prologue. And so just listen, and if you like it, then maybe you should listen to the book. Okay. So here's the foreword. When The Alchemist was first published 25 years ago in my native Brazil, no one noticed. A bookseller in the northeast cor corner of the country told me that only one person purchased a copy the first week of its release. It took another six months for the bookseller to unload a second copy, and that was to the same person who bought the first. And who knows how long it took to sell the third. By the end of the year, it was clear to everyone that The Alchemist wasn't working. My original publisher decided to cut me loose and cancel our contract. They wiped their hands of the project and let me take the book with me. I was 41 and desperate. But I never lost faith in the book or ever wavered in my vision. Why? Because it was me in there, all of me, heart and soul. I was living my own metaphor. A man sets out on a journey, dreaming of a beautiful or magical place in pursuit of some unknown treasure. At the end of his journey, the man realizes the treasure was with him the entire time. I was following my personal legend, and my treasure was my capacity to write. And I wanted to share this treasure with the world. As I wrote The Alchemist, when you want 
something, the whole universe conspires to help you. I started knocking on the doors of other publishers. One opened and the publisher on the other side believed in me and my book and agreed to give the alchemist a second chance. Slowly, the word of, by word of mouth, it finally started to sell 3,000 and 6,000, 10,000 book by book gradually throughout the year. Eight months later, an American visiting Brazil picked up a copy of The Alchemist in a local bookstore. He wanted to translate the book and help me find a publisher in the United States. HarperCollins agreed to bring it to an American audience, publishing it with a great fanfare, ads in the New York Times, and influential news magazines, radio and television interviews. But it still took some time to sell, slowly finding its audience in the United States by word of mouth, just as it did in Brazil. And then one day, Bill Clinton was photographed leaving the White House with a copy. Then Madonna saved about or raved about the book to Vanity Fair, and people from different walks of life, from Rush Limbaugh and Will Smith to college students and soccer moms, were suddenly talking about it. The Alchemist became a spontaneous and organic phenomenon. The book hit the New York Times bestseller list, an important milestone for any author, and stayed there for more than 300 weeks. It has since been translated into more than 80 different languages, the most translated book by any living author. Oh, wow. And is widely considered one of the 10 best books of the 20th century. You hear that, folks? Okay. People continue to ask me if I knew The Alchemist would be such a huge success. The answer is no. I had no idea. How could I? When I sat down to write The Alchemist, all I knew is that I wanted to write about my soul. I wanted to write about my quest to find treasure. I wanted to follow the omens because I knew even then that the omens are the language of God. Through the alchemist, or I'm sorry, though the alchemist is now celebrating its 25th anniversary, which I don't even know what year this was. Let me see if I can find the um, copyright. I don't even know if that's the right word. Yeah, I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> uh, anyways, um, back to where we were. Uh, let's see. Okay, so it's no relic of the past. The book is still very much alive. Like my heart and like my soul, it continues to live every day because my heart and soul are in it. And my heart and soul is your heart and soul. I am Santiago, the shepherd boy in search of my treasure. Just as you are Santiago, the shepherd boy in search of your own. The story of one person is the story of everyone. And one man's quest is the quest of all humanity. Which is why I believe the alchemist continues all these years later to resonate with people from different cultures all around the world. Touching them emotionally and spiritually equally without prejudice. I reread the alchemist. I'm sorry, alchemist, regularly, and every time I do experience the same sensations I felt when I wrote it. And here's what I feel. I feel happiness because it is all of me and all of you simultaneously. I feel happiness, too, because I know I can never be alone. Wherever I go, people understand me. They understand my soul. This continues to give me hope. When I read about clashes around the world, political clashes, economic clashes, cultural classes, clashes... I am reminded that it is within our power to build a bridge to be crossed. Even if my neighbor doesn't understand my religion or understand my politics, he can understand my story. If he can understand my story, then he's never too far from me. 
Ashes. <laughs> Ashes, you can't go outside. My apologies. That's my um loving cat. <laughs> it is always within my power to build a bridge. There is always a chance for reconciliation, a chance that one day he and I will sit around a table together and put an end to our history of classes, cl I'm sorry, clashes, and on this day he will tell me his story and I will tell him mine. Oh, okay, so that's from, he wrote that afterward in 2014. Also, uh, more about the author. I'll read you the little thing about him. He was born in Rio de Janeiro in 1947, is one of the best-selling and most influential authors in the world, um, and then it goes on to talk about other books that he's written. Yeah, uh, he basically he just sold a lot of books. Um, my cat is making a lot of noise right now. Come here! The, and then, you know, I don't even know what this is called. You know the part in the book where, like, on the cover of a physical copy it has, like, the, um, like, the little summary? Like, not on the back. Well, usually, like, on the inside of the front, of, like, the front part. Okay, never mind. I'll just read it. Um, this says... Paolo's enchanting novel has inspired a devoted following around the world. This story, dazzling in its powerful simplicity and soul-stirring wisdom, is about an Andalusian shepherd boy named Santiago who travels from his homeland in Spain to Egypt the Egyptian desert in search of a treasure buried near the pyramids. Along the way, he meets a gypsy woman, a man who calls himself king, and an alchemist, all of whom point Santiago in the direction of his quest. No one knows what the treasure is or if Santiago will be able to surmount the obstacles in his path. But what starts out as a journey to find worldly, worldly goods turns into a discovery of the treasure found within. Lush, evocative, and deeply humane, the story of Santiago is an internal testament to the transforming power of our dreams and the importance of listening to our hearts. Um, yeah. Okay. I will now read the, um, prologue. <clears throat> the alchemist picked up a book that someone in the caravan had bought. Leafing through the pages, he found a story about Narcissus. The alchemist knew the legend of Narcissus, a youth who knelt daily beside a lake to contemplate his own beauty. He was so fascinated by himself that one morning he fell into the lake and drowned. At the spot where he fell, a flower was born, which was called the Narcissus. But this was not how the author of the book ended the story. He said that when Narcissus died, the goddess of the forest appeared and found the lake, which had been fresh water, transformed into a lake of salty tears. Why do you weep? the goddess asked. I weep for Narcissus, the lake replied. Ah, it is no surprise that you weep for Narcissus, they said. For though we always pursued him in the forest, you alone could contemplate his beauty close at hand. But was Narcissus beautiful? the lake asked. Who better than you to know that? the goddess said in wonder. After all, it was by your banks that he knelt each day to contemplate himself. The lake was silent for some time. Finally, it said, 
I weep for Narcissus, but I never noticed that Narcissus was beautiful. I weep because each time he knelt beside my banks, I could see in the depths of his eyes my own beauty reflected. What a lovely story, the alchemist thought.